right. Today I am talking with Tom Orison, who is the director of legal operations uh, at Microsoft. And the goal today is to really reflect in a hallway conversation that Tom and I have been having on and off for the last several months. So this is going to be a little bit more lightly produced than some of the other episodes that we do. But the goal is to faithfully recreate one of the conversations that he and I have been having uh, and give you a a little bit of an insight into what it's like to to do our work. And hopefully the voice of uh, the customer and uh, and the partner, uh, I guess, similar legal operations will will shine through because I I suspect that there are many of these same conversations happening uh, at other institutions. This started as a conversation thread between us proximal to the Corporate Legal Operations Consortium Institute this year, where we started looking at some of the vendor partners that we were going to talk to, and we started thinking about some of the principles that were going to drive our engagement and who we would partner with. But before I get too much into the details of that, uh, it would be great, Tom, if you could give a little bit of your background and then talk about what your team does. So I'm Tom Orson. I'm the Director of Legal Operations here at Microsoft. I have spent the last two decades in the legal services vertical. I spent the first seven to eight years of my career at a law firm in downtown Seattle. Um, Great training grounds for getting skilled up on a lot of things very quickly. I then went to a brief stretch at a biotech company, a local biotech company in Seattle, and quickly jumped ship from there over to Microsoft. And I've been here for 13 years, both in central operations teams and working to support the practice groups in financial and operations. Uh, and, and operational roles. Fantastic. And so what does your legal operations team do? So we tackle a lot of very very high volume repetitive tasks that occur throughout the legal group. Um, we tackle those kind of high volume repetitive tasks usually with a combination of technology and process or service delivery. Uh, we really view those two as a kind of the, the two pillars that we build on is the two work very very much closely together and very hand in hand. I look at them as kind of as, as, as linked at the hip if you will or joined at the hip. Um, a lot of times the, the, the process or the service delivery side utilizes the technology that we, we layer in to help us scale. One of the problems we have at Microsoft is that mammoth scale. We have a huge global department uh, that spans the world, um, and so we have a lot of, lot of needs and a lot of volume that we have to support in, in tackling these things with technology and service delivery. Let's talk about the technology side first. So what are the building blocks that you have to put together to manage your portfolio of work? So we are somewhat unique at Microsoft being a technology company. We have some software assets that we bring to bear that were homegrown within Microsoft that we, we sell to the public that we also try to use ourselves. So we do build some of our technology solutions ourselves where we have close fit to existing products. But on top of that, we do have a huge portfolio of line of business applications that we license from third parties. I would say, you know, being in the business for about two decades, we were pretty sophisticated in our approach of how we look at those line of business applications. I think for those partners who have worked with us know that we can be a very difficult customer. We have a lot of needs given the kind of breadth and scale of our of our business. Um, but we, we, we approach those, I think, with a very sophisticated eye. And I do see our approach to those has really changed over the last two or three years, given kind of some of the, the, the underlying technology advancement that we've seen across the technology industry, particularly the software technology industry. 
um, really speaking here of, of, of kind of API level access. I think open APIs and be able to integrate um, point solutions via APIs versus the old custom integration route creates huge benefit to, to Microsoft and I think other other in-house legal departments who's ha- who has to manage this kind of, I would say, cornucopia of line of business applications and make them all work together. Okay, so in many ways, we are like so many of our customers in as much as we have a combination of legacy portfolio elements, we have things we're trying to build, we're a little bit unique in as much as we actually make certain technology pieces, but you also snuck something in there that I really, I want to unpack just to make sure everybody's on, on board with what we're talking about. So an API, what what is that and why should I care? Application Programming Interface. It's I think one of the most important acronyms that will come across. If you manage operations or technology at an in-house legal department, it is learn that, learn that, learn that acronym and, and understand what it can do for you. Um, so it's a way for applications or line of business applications to talk to each other in a, in, a, in a durable way. I would say the approach we had, especially a decade ago, was anytime you wanted to stitch things together, you had to write custom code that allowed two different systems to talk. As we know with technology, everybody has roadmaps that deliver releases, particularly kind of material um, version releases. So if you go from version one to version two, a lot of times you see some core code changes. Whenever you have core core code changes, your integrations usually will break. So APIs, when we first started really using them, they allowed us to build that integration in a durable way that allowed us to get over having to rewrite them every time a new major release came out from one of our line of business application providers. So it allowed us to be able to ingest new versions much more readily and much more easily and get that get on that latest and greatest technology in very quick order because we didn't have to worry so much with integrations. If I look into the kind of the modern day, it provides other, other benefits as well. It allows us to move data around at scale in a way that wasn't feasible before. No more flat file uploads. If you can connect at that API level, the data flows real time and seamlessly between the applications, which lights up a lot of nice scenarios that weren't weren't available to us five, six years ago. So I'm hearing a lot of benefits from going the API approach. I'm hearing that I get better agility because I can effectively stitch together pieces. Uh, I can weave them in uh, with, with lower cost. I'm hearing that I, my solutions will hopefully be more robust because I have basically version control on when things change. and. I'm not taking a hard dependency on the internal operating mechanism of whatever that line of business application is. And I'm also hearing way more effective uh, data integration because I can start accessing things at that data layer rather than with bizarre abstractions that may be coming out of them. Exactly, exactly. And I would say Microsoft as a company saw this this dynamic change in and we have done things, particularly in Office 365 with the Microsoft Graft, of we've opened up in VR Office products a lot of APIs to allow third-party developers to extend their solutions into an interface that the users are just, they live in every day. So for us, it's Outlook. Our attorneys love Outlook. They spend their days in Outlook. With the new API level access to Outlook, you can deliver workflow scenarios actionable emails to people's inboxes. And so what I talked about before was just kind of system integrations and kind of back office, um, I would say, 
um, benefit that we got from API level access. Now what we're looking at is on top of that, we're going to be able to potentially deliver much more catered, seamless, and intuitive user experiences to our users via these APIs because we can bring simple workloads into Outlook, have them take action on those and pass that information back to the line of business applications. Usually line of business applications are very robust applications. They provide really meaningful workflows for point solutions. Um, I think there's a lot of them that try to do too much. Um, too much at once, but but they're very, very good at these point solutions. They do certain things very, very well to the point that even as a software company is cost prohibitive cost prohibitive for us to rebuild because they've already they've already solved that problem. The problem with really robust applications that solve problems like that is a lot of times there's a lot of detail and data behind it that make it work. And exposing that to your users is just confuses them and makes it harder than it has to be. Um, so this API level access, we really see value in being able to deliver these more catered user experiences to our end users, which will delight our users, which if you're in an operations team, you know is very difficult to do. Well, okay, so that's cool and all, but it seems like there's this pretty obvious solution, which is why don't I just buy one thing that does everything I need today and I will ever need? So I like to frame this this exact question, which I've received on occasion, uh, numerous occasions. I like to frame it with an analogy. I just, the world's easier to understand for me with an analogy. So I, I, I combine this analogy with two of my, my outside of work loves, and that's cooking and the outdoors. And so when I look at kind of the state of the line of business applications that we use in legal operations, if I look five, six, 10 years ago, what I really saw is people trying to develop the Swiss army knife of applications. One application that can kind of do everything. The problem with the Swiss Army knife, as you know, if if you've ever used one, is they're really not great at any one thing. I will reserve the can opener. It's a really great can opener, (laughs) so it does that really, really well. But the main blade doesn't cut that well. The saw that they, the saw, and I do in air quotes here, that they claim to be a saw, really can't cut through anything besides a twig. And so if I find myself in a kitchen and I'm preparing a gourmet meal, I'm not looking for a Swiss Army knife. What I'm looking for is a butcher block, a butcher block that has a deboning knife, a 10-inch chef blade, a 7-inch chef blade, a paring knife, and a bread knife so that regardless what comes across my prep table for, the, for that meal, I can pull out the exact knife that's going to do that one, that one chop the exact way I want to. And I will use a lot of times all knives in my block. So I look at this as, as before I think the technology state was really building this, this Swiss Army knife that tried to tackle too many things and ended up the reality is they didn't do any of them all that well. All of them have the one or two things they do really great and we really want to take advantage of those one or two things that it does really great because they are really great at that. But I think as we look forward, what we want to do is we want to build our own butcher block that we can then swap in really great knives in and out as needed. So again, we want a 10-inch chef knife if we're cutting a big piece of a big a big steak tenderloin. But at the same time, if I have a bunch of vegetables, I'm not going to want to use that same knife. Or if I'm deboning a chicken, I'm not going to want the chef's knife. I'm going to want that thin, flexible deboning knife because it does that one job exceptionally well. I won't use it for anything else, but it's impeccable at doing that one job. And so that's kind of how I look at the technology technology state is we're no longer looking for the Swiss Army knife. We're looking for really, really great knives that we can slip into our butcher block. So I think there's a, a good uh, callback into what you were talking about earlier with your, your, your chef's analogy, because you really were highlighting that one of your goals is to create a coherent experience, right? You, When somebody goes to dinner, 
they don't want a plate with a bunch of disparate stuff on it either, right? They want it all mixed together into that nice blended experience that is exactly what they're expecting. And I think that flows very naturally from what you're talking about. And what I think I'm hearing is, as a, an operations leader, you view it as your responsibility to come up with a, an experience that meets your customers where they are. And to the extent it can, it masks or obfuscates the complexity of elements of the line of business applications you take a dependency on that don't really matter that much for them. Yep. We want to create those user experiences. That I'll, I'll say we want them to be durable, we want them to be seamless, and we want them to be powerful. And I, I think that the, the API allows us to do that. We can really build those durable integrations with the API. We can take those kind of quick bits of information we need to collect from our end user to drive behavior in the back-end system and do that in a way that's not jarring at all to them, that, that is, is an, it meets them in a spot that they're used to working in with and just shows them and asks them just for the information we need at that point and not kind of, they don't need to see the, how the sausage was made, they just need to enjoy the sausage. <laughs> I want to also drill, that's really helpful. I want to drill in on something related to API level access. So when you go into Microsoft Graph, you you get very rich data. And I'm curious if for the, the, the folks who you're thinking about partnering with, do you have any expectations that their API level access will get, give you something perhaps different than you might have gotten from them in the past? Yeah, I think we now we talk we now kind of talk about both the technology space and the process service delivery space. So a lot of times, like I said, we tackle things with a combination of technology and service delivery. A lot of times, we'll work with two different partners. We'll work with a partner that's delivering technology, and then a managed service um, company that we're using for the actual to, to man the process behind it. Um, in both cases, there's a lot of data changing hands. And the service delivery t- side, a lot of what they do is they take the data that we give them, they augment that, add to that with human intelligence and then that drives behavior in in either technology or behavior via the process. We want to work with partners that can deliver us back to us that augmented data in real time so that both parties can benefit from it. We're fine with them having the access to that augmented data because it helps them make their processes more efficient, which helps us in the long run. But we also want to learn from that same data set. And so I think when we look to third parties that are going to be augmenting what we do in-house, we're going to want that data back so that both parties can learn from it. Mm -hmm. And so to, to perhaps be more concrete here, if I might imagine that I have a process that examines an agreement and looks at a provision and you know they might analyze it and say, ah, yes, this is type, type C uh, indemnity clause. And it may not be enough for it to come back and say, yes, you can sign this. You want the, oh, I have quantified this this provision as this type against your playbook so that you're getting that richer data that comes back. So you have now you have the, the, the original source and you have the specific uh, quantification of, of whatever was in that. Yep. Okay. So we want we want to work with partners that that one solve the problem we have today, which in the example of processing agreements is something we do at mass scale. We want to be able to continue doing that with the efficiency and accuracy we do today, but we also want to have data sets that will allow us to tackle things tomorrow. And so as we look to these things, I think you I think you can infer from Jason's question of of the artificial intelligence kind of machine learning play that we want to make over time and how can we actually do machine 
machine learning or artificial intelligence in the legal vertical. And it all starts with data. And so we have we have these operations set up that do exchange mass amounts of data and augment mass amounts of data. It's good for the whole ecosystem if we can benefit, if everybody can benefit from that rich data because it allows us to deliver technology solutions that are likely more profitable for our third parties over time. For us, it delivers efficiency and scale that we can't get to today. And so I think there's there's work we can do across a lot of our, our work streams today where we are leaving on the table rich data that we need to find a way to ingest back so that we have data sets to drive our work over the next three to five years. That makes sense. So if somebody gives you that augmented data set back, do you think that makes them stickier or less sticky as a partner? Oh, incredibly sticky. Incredibly sticky for us because candidly, there's not a lot of folks out there doing that today. And so somebody who's willing and able to do that is going to really shine from the relationship standpoint. One of the things we always look at in our partners is not just what can they do, but how do they manage that relationship? Forward-looking firms that look to these things, that look to tackle our challenges, not of just of today, but of tomorrow as well. Those are people we want long-term relationships with. Those are firms we want long-term relationships with. For them, I also see it as a huge selling point. Um, so I, I, I know how the world works from a business perspective. There's revenue and there's profitability, and I think a lot of companies get spun up on the revenue side. And this is growing up in legal operations where firms, I think, have an obvious problem in this space. Profitability is really what matters, and if if becoming super efficient by leveraging machine learning or AI brings in less revenue but more profit, that's going to allow you to sell more units of that that will get you your revenue back and also deliver that more profitable end number for the for the business. I see it as upside for everybody. I think we benefit as a consumer of it, and I think those who can figure it out will be able to resell that to a lot of other firms. So, whoa, 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 whoa. So, you would actually be happy if one of your partners figured out a really good way to serve one of your needs. They managed to automate that, bring in innovation, scale it up, and they would offer it to others. Heck, I'd probably get up on stage and talk about how great it is. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, I, I have a much richer sense of what you're up to uh, now. Well, that's a bit of a lie. I know we talk about this all the time, so let's let's just drop the, the farce on that side. But I do hope that uh, the folks that are outside have a better sense of where you're looking to to take your, your work because you design, build, and operate giant machines for us. And it has been one of my delights to watch how forward-looking you are and how much you invest in bringing our partners along because it's very easy to, to try to just run forward without thinking about how it impacts your, your ecosystem. But one of the things that you do exquisitely, exquisitely well is you understand the needs of both our customers here, but you understand the practical realities of what it takes to partner. And I also have observed that you value partnership so deeply and that you really do think about how can we make sure that we are creating the best experiences, but we also are creating opportunities for our partner ecosystem to really thrive because they invest in us and, and we invest in them. Yep. Typically, if our partners are successful, it makes us even more successful internally. So mm -hmm. I, we do focus a lot on, on, on success. I like the win-win scenario. Yeah. Always try to optimize for that win-win. And I think we have a lot of those opportunities ahead of us. 
I do too. Well, thank you for making the time to chat today. I really appreciate it. And I hope that uh, more of our hallway conversations will uh, get exposed on this podcast. I hope those listening find them valuable and there may be more of them. (laughs) 